You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and happy uh, Monday to you all. Another week of spring training, another week closer to opening day. Uh, drafts are uh, happening everywhere. We've got the uh, uh, fantasy, uh, sorry, the great fantasy baseball invitational. Uh, we're chugging along in the, the 14th round already, uh, having fun getting sniped by uh all the guys that are drafting in front of me, uh, but it's great because we love it when it's draft season. Uh, I think I may enjoy the drafting even more than than the playing it out, and that's really saying something. So uh, anyway, uh, hope you're enjoying that, and uh, hope you're ready to sit back and uh, enjoy an hour of fancy baseball talk because, uh, as I'm sure you're not surprised, that's what we do here on the Fancy Baseball Hour. And I've got a lot of stuff to get to today. I've got your Twitter questions, so thank you very much for coming through with those questions. I will answer them all. I've got an outfield preview lined up. Uh, I am somewhat optimistic that I'll get through it all, (laughs) but I'm going to give priority to the questions since I promised I'd answer them on the show and you came through with those questions. Uh, I will uh, preview as much of the outfield as possible, and of course, outfield's big. Uh, But also, I will be taking a look at the NL and AL labor auctions that occurred uh, over the weekend. Really, really interesting results. And I haven't spent too much time at all talking about uh, position landscape and position scarcity for uh, NL and AL only leagues. So this gives me a great uh, excuse, basically, to talk about that. But in terms of the news, which is where I usually start, I'm going to begin with a, a jumbo deal. A jumbo Schimpf deal. Ryan Schimpf has been acquired by the Braves from uh, the Tampa Bay Rays for a player to be named later. And I thought Schimpf, I sort of liked for Schimpf the uh, opportunity, perhaps, to to crack the lineup there in Tampa Bay. I think it might be a little bit harder for him uh, in Atlanta, but he is going to get a shot, apparently, at the starting third base job. And the fact that the Braves went out and got him Maybe it says that they don't like Johan Camargo as much as I perceive that they do, which is why I'm, I'm a little less optimistic about playing time for Schimpf, but he's in that mix. But I will say, as far as park factors go, I like this a little better for Ryan Schimpf because, as we know, he is Mr. Extreme Flyball Hitter. <laughs> he hits flyballs at launch angles that are pretty much unparalleled. Uh, hits fly balls at, at rates that are pretty much unparalleled. So he's really uh, the true three true outcomes player because uh, he also walks a fair deal, but uh, strikes out a lot as well. Strikes out a lot, flies out a lot. Uh, so fun player to keep track of. And it's more fun when he actually gets to play. So might have a chance to crack that Braves lineup. The home park definitely better for him. Uh, if, if last year's any indication, SunTrust Park looked like a pretty good power hitting park for lefties. Not so much for righties. But on the other hand, the visiting parks now really get downgraded for Schimpf because he was going from the worst park of the AL East and pretty much every other park in the AL East pretty good offensively and now going to the NL East where there's Atlanta and there's Philadelphia. 
And then you've got uh, three parks that aren't so hot, uh, especially uh, Marlins Park and Nationals Park. Uh, so for what it's worth, I mean, I know it's a, you know, sort of a, a marginal, uh, you know, player to, to be looking at it at a lot of formats, but I just think he's a whole lot of fun. So I wanted to, uh, to start there. It also, it what seems like uh, a an almost irrelevant move, fancy-wise, but trust me, I'm loading this up earlier in the show because there is fancy relevance here. The Mariners are close to an agreement with Ichiro Suzuki. So again, that, that would be extremely fun to have uh, Suzuki back in Seattle. But the reason why I, I'm uh, loading that one up early to talk about is that Ben Gamble is going to be out for four to six weeks with an oblique strain. And before this news came out about Ichiro, I thought, who who is going to play left field for the Mariners? Because Guillermo Heredia is coming back from surgery. Uh, he would have seemed to be the obvious choice. And then you see there's a, a log jam uh, at first base, especially when Ryan Healy returns. And he's been making good progress from his hand, hand surgery. But I don't see Healy going and play in the outfield. And if you're thinking, well, maybe Healy or Dan Vogelbach or Mike Ford gets DH duties, well, I don't think Nelson Cruz is going to play a whole lot of outfield. So maybe it helps one of those guys. I mean, I don't think Healy, Healy needs the help because once he's back, you figure he's going to play pretty much every day. But in terms of Vogelbach or Ford, I don't know that it helps them a whole lot. Maybe it makes them a little bit more relevant in an AL-only league. But... Ichiro Suzuki, if, if this goes through, maybe he gets initially a fair amount of playing time. I mean, that would definitely be unexpected. But a situation to watch, I, I am guessing, Jerry DePoto being Jerry DePoto, that he is not done making deals regardless of what happens with Ichiro Suzuki. But um, that's uh, that's going to be one to watch because I, I could see the Mariners uh, you know, making a, a move there for a, a higher profile free agent signing i saw somewhere i think it was mlb trade rumors they've been linked with john jay so that would certainly make a whole lot of sense uh, for the mariners uh earlier today monday paul DeYoung got a contract extension from the cardinals uh this was reported by Derek gould and john Heyman. they both came through with the the numbers and the numbers are this uh he gets a six-year extension for 26 million dollars and that is the largest guaranteed contract ever to go to a player who had less than a full year's worth of service time. So that it's a surprising one, really. I That's been the reaction I've also seen from a lot of others. Certainly surprised me. And this, to me, is very interesting and very relevant from a fantasy perspective. First of all, it, it really involves two players that I've really been wanting to watch very closely. And one, of course, is DeYoung himself. He's been on my bust list. Uh, the, the power is not something that I've questioned too much because he's had pretty good power in the minor leagues, but he has had very sketchy plate discipline. And so that even gives me at least maybe a little bit of worry for the, the, um, the power numbers that he just may be exploitable. And then, you know, last year he batted 285 to go with his 25 homers. And that just given the, the degree to which he strikes out. And his batted ball profile, uh, that is being somebody who goes goes for the power, but really should be selling out for average. A 285 average with that profile, maybe that works if you don't strike out a lot. That's not the case with Paul DeYoung. So he just looks absolutely regression-bound. 
And that's a concern unto itself. And then there's two more layers to this. First of all, he's being drafted pretty much right behind the first couple tiers worth of shortstops. Um, and it's understandable why, because you're looking at the position and you're, you're saying, okay, here's somebody who showed a good deal of power, even with Bush Stadium as his home backdrop. And uh, well, let's go for that, that power at the shortstop position. What do you got to lose? Because it, the, the position really thins out after the top tiers. But um, that's a concern to me, again, given that I, I think he could have all kinds of regression coming to him. And then you've, you've really reached for a player who's not going to deliver what you paid. So that's one layer of concern. And then the second layer is that you still have what seems to be a perennial, perennially crowded roster situation with the, the Cardinals. So they, they cleared out the outfield a bit, although there's still good depth there. But the infield... They've got at least one one infielder too many, if you're including Jose Martinez in that mix, and, and I do, uh, with the key a candidate to see some time at first base. And I basically have been drafting him, hopefully not overreaching him, but drafting him as if I'm expecting him to get a good deal of playing time. And DeYoung's regression was a big part of my calculus there. That a figure, you, you've got Carpenter, who can move over to third. You got Jerko who can play short. Colton Wong, I figure, is just uh, more or less uh, uh, just locked in at second base. And then that opens up first base for Jose Martinez. Now, you can look at this two ways. You can say, well, it's a six-year contract extension. They clearly like DeYoung. Uh, or you can say, well, it's for $26 million over six years. And that could just be utility player money. So I, I, you know, I, I wasn't really sure initially how to read this. So I did what I do when I'm not sure about things. I asked people on Twitter, and uh, let me uh, see if I can fire up those uh, Twitter results. I'm usually better prepared than this, but I actually don't have a uh, a window with that open. So this will take me just a, a second. But uh, while I'm uh, basically stalling my way through this, uh, the, the Twitter question was, "How do you expect this contract extension?" to affect DeYoung's value for this year. We're talking 2018 redraft leagues and final results are in and overwhelmingly 74% of the votes say no impact, no impact based on this contract extension. And 18% says it improves DeYoung's value and only 8% say that they expect a decrease in value. And again, so that's the idea that, well, it's not really a big contract in terms of average value, average annual value. So 8% bought into that narrative and a little more than double see just the opposite. They say, okay, this is a commitment. We can actually, you know, count on DeYoung. Uh, We don't have to worry about him, you know, losing playing time to Jose Martinez or, or whomever. And after thinking about it a bit and also looking up defensive stats, because this was something that occurred to me. Why would you lock in this guy for six years if you weren't? I mean, obviously, the Cardinals are aware of the plate discipline issues. But I thought, what about the defense for DeYoung? And the numbers definitely check out that he's he was a good defender at shortstop last year. He had uh, a 3.1 UZR uh, per 150, and that put him right in the same neighborhood as Freddie Galvis and Cattell Marte. 
couple of pretty good defensive shortstops. And now here's the the other part of the puzzle that I think makes this very, very good for Paul DeYoung. Jed Jerko, the main alternative at shortstop, his uh, UZR per 150 last year, negative 31.4. And the year before, it was in the deep negatives, too, I think around negative 17. So it makes me think that uh, maybe uh, the the Cardinals figure they're, you know, they're going to stick with DeYoung with whatever happens at the plate. uh, They get a big defensive upgrade there. And that makes me worried a bit for Jose Martinez. Maybe it should make me worried for Colton Wong. I don't know. But he had a pretty good year last year, too. Uh, Really improved his plate discipline. So... Uh, this is going to be interesting to watch. And, and you know, I would still encourage people to take that late round flyer on Jose Martinez. This news would probably make him even a little cheaper. And he's, he's not hard to get in, in most formats now as it is. So I would still take, take that flyer. Uh, and, and I'm just going to you know, issue the usual explanation that I do because I still believe in it, which is that skills win out. And I think one way or another, whether it's injury, whether it's you know, a slumpy Jed Jerko, uh, a Matt Carpenter injury, whatever, whatever it is, Jose Martinez will find his way to playing time. And man, last year, the skills looked awfully good. So enough said there. Let's get caught up on uh, some injury news. Jacob deGrom threw a bullpen uh, session yesterday, Sunday. Uh, he's uh, been dealing with a back issue. And it really, his uh, his progress has really been slowed down a bit. Uh, today he's expected to play some light catch, maybe throws a sim game next. So given the, the rate at which DeGrom is progressing from this back issue, it looks like he's not very likely to, to be the opening day starter for the Mets. And this is all reportedly uh, done for precautionary reasons. Hopefully that's true. It's not really going to dim my enthusiasm for, for drafting DeGrom, but uh, it does mean that we have to watch this a little, maybe a little more closely. Uh, Blue Jays manager John Gibbons told Sportsnet.ca that Troy Tulowitzki's status for opening day does not look very good. He says, I don't expect uh, Tulowitzki to be ready, but he is moving in the right direction. So not very encouraging news there unless you want to take that flyer on Ledmus Diaz. And then looks like that maybe gives Diaz some early season value. As far as Chris Davis goes, uh, a little bit of a scare for him with the right elbow and forearm, but the MRI showed no structural damage, according to Masson.com. He will miss, uh, is expected to miss, just another one to three days from now. So pretty good news there for Chris Davis, who's looking like a a, a, a good late-round flyer. Um, we've got some other uh, things to get to, including some interesting stuff on the, the Padres outfield. But before I do... Just would encourage you to check out Fantrax.com. You can create the ultimate dynasty keeper or redraft fantasy league using Fantrax's free commissioner product. Find out how it feels to have the deepest player pool, multi-team trades, plus player salary and contract options at your fingertips, all of which are fully customizable. And with Fantrax Treasure, you can set up the league entry fees and safely distribute payouts without a third party. That means you don't have to track down owners for payment. And enter the promo code AL, that's A-L, at the sign-up. There's a little box at the bottom there when you sign up. Don't just gloss over that. Put in the promo code AL for a chance to win 10 private consultations with me. Uh, It's a $109 value on almelkier.com. But if you win this drawing, you get it for nothing, for free. So do 
Make sure you do that and find out why Fantrax is the home of fantasy sports. Check out Fantrax.com today. All right, here's an update on Steven Vogt. He uh, is dealing with a strained shoulder, but he may DH this week. And actually, the more to me, the more interesting part of that report, which came from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, is that he's actually competing for a backup position. And I had sort of assumed, not sort of, I assumed he was in the mix to be the starter there. So that certainly helps Manny Pena, who made a whole lot of hard contact last year. I don't think it fully showed in the stats. And he's a nice, cheap fallback option at catcher, uh, Manny Pena. And uh, as I mentioned before, there's a, a piece uh, that's out there in the San Diego Union Tribune about the Padres outfield situation. Really, really interesting stuff. I'm going to have to go to break right now, but I'm definitely going to get to that when we come back. I'm also going to talk about the labor NL and AL auctions. I really want to talk to you about this uh, Padres outfield situation. Could really impact the way you target at least a couple players. So stick around. Be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to, uh, to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And uh, lots to get to here. Like I said, we're going to take a look at the uh, labor results, AL and NL uh, only auctions that happened uh, this past weekend. I've got a few news items to get to. Got your Twitter questions. And somewhere, somewhere in there, I will at least get started on an outfield preview uh, for you all. So, um, And before I get started on any of this, uh, just uh, let you know that uh, you should check out Fantasy Factor. It's the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreation player. Flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. Fantasy Factor runs NHL and NBA free rolls every week with free entry. Simply sign up and enter at www.fantasyfactor.com. So one thing that I really wanted to be sure to get to on this show, there was a piece uh, the last day or so uh, published by the San Diego Union Tribune about the, it was sort of more broadly just about how the, the Padres are, are on the upswing, but the, the focus was really on the outfield situation. And with sort of a, a negative slant on Hunter Renfro's chances to, to play a major role with the team. And, you know, what a difference a year can make, because I remember a year ago, in terms of players who were still prospects, uh, who looked to make a, an impact as a rookie, uh, Renfro was right by the top of my list. Uh, just loved the power potential there. And he still really has that potential. But now you've got the emergence of Franchi Cordero, uh, who um, has uh, you know, 
really opened some eyes in, in Winter League, uh, opened some eyes last year in the uh, PCL, and having a really nice spring. And then you've also got Jose Perella, who entered the season as, as sort of a journeyman, uh, a utility type, and got, got some regular play and, and really hit very well. And so according to this piece in the Union Tribune, Perella is, uh, and I'm quoting directly from the piece here, a virtual lock to make the team. And now making the team, of course, could be that he's a fourth or a fifth oh. outfielder. But given the way that it's set up, that Franchi Cordero could possibly, if he continues to have a good spring, continues to impress, he could platoon with Hunter Renfro. And being the lefty, he'd be the one getting closer to regular playing time. Renfro would be essentially a, a part-timer, not just essentially, would be a part-timer with that role. So you got Cordero. I don't think anybody's questioning the job security of Manuel Marco. And so that really, you know, it, it. I mean, unless, I don't know, Travis Jankowski sort of comes out of nowhere, or Alex Dickerson, looks like Jose Perel is going to get a starting job. And so these are two players I've been targeting in the late rounds, uh, Cordero and Perella. And this piece gives me just a little more confidence. And I understand we're in the middle of spring training. These storylines change all the time. We have to always view them with some degree of skepticism, not go overboard saying, ah, Jose Perel is going to be a starter. Franchi Cordero is going to be the lefty part of a platoon. But these are encouraging signs. And, and it gives me certainly a little bit more confidence to, to make that uh, late round pick. And you still can with both Cordero and, and Perella. And likewise, Renfro, uh, you really got to exercise some caution if you're looking to him again this year uh, for for some cheap power. All right. Well, a few more uh, injury updates, actually a couple more. Uh, Michael Taylor of the Nationals was scratched with mild right side tightness. And uh, this, too, seems to be precautionary. Uh, This is a report from Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. Uh, given that Taylor missed about a month last year due to an oblique strain, uh, they may just be playing it cautiously with him. Jeff Hoffman was uh, scratched from a start this weekend with a, short, a sore shoulder, so that may shape the, uh, the the battle for the back end of the Rockies rotation. Not a, a good development there for Jeff Hoffman, but I don't uh, have any further information in terms of uh, any sort of timeline for him. And before we, uh, I get to the labor auctions from this weekend, AL and NL, I uh, just want to uh, express my condolences uh, to the, the friends and family of Steve Moyer, uh, just a fantastic colleague in the, the fantasy industry. I actually worked briefly uh, on a freelance basis for Steve uh, years ago, and um, just a, a terrific guy. I, I can't really claim that I knew him that well, but he was somebody I would see every year at Tout Wars. He will be missed terribly this year, uh, and, and just from what I'm, I'm seeing from people in the industry, of course, he is he's being missed terribly already, and uh, so just want to uh, express uh, my condolences. Uh, somebody who will really, really uh, you know, leave a, a void in the industry. Uh, that said, uh, this weekend, we had the uh, labor auctions. These are five-by-five rotisserie leagues, NL and AL only. And I'm going to start with the NL. AL always goes first, alphabetically. So I feel a little bad for the NL. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of the designated hitter. Grew up a Phillies fan. So, yeah, I'm going with the NL first. And uh, some really, really 
interesting results here. I think not only does it speaks to just general ADP and how some players are being valued, at least in this one industry event, but also speaking to how the different position scarcity landscape was dealt with here because uh, the AL, the, or I'm sorry, the NLs got the bulk of the elite first baseman. It pretty much strikes out on the elite second baseman. Uh, I remember that from last year too. And I'll, I'll talk about that uh, in a bit. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how, uh, how this has played out and where the tiers break off and, and all that. So with no further ado, I'm going to go position by position and just go over the prices for the top players. And I'm also, I'm, I'm going to issue a bit of an ab, uh, admonition that I, I saw uh, my colleague Justin Mason make on Twitter uh, over the weekend. And it's, it's an important one to remember anytime we look at, at auctions and auction values, which is that. As, as you all who have done auctions, you know from your own experience, the values can look sort of crazy sometimes just based on when the player is nominated. And really specifically what I'm saying here is that players that go late when bank accounts are, are getting dried up, <laughs> uh, some players could go, could go very cheap. Or similarly, if uh, there's an early run at a given position, Owners can panic a bit and inflate the prices of uh, the players at the end of the uh, at the end of the tier. Uh, that's why, again, that's that's why my advice and, and the advice of you know many many in this industry uh, is that you keep track of those tiers round by round, that you don't get hung up on specific players on filling specific positions in a certain round. Uh, that what you do, you take it round by round and, and you approach every round. Like it's just, it's a brand new day <laughs> that you, you know, beginner's mind, I guess, um, uh, that, uh, because you, you know, if you do get to that point where you didn't take care of, let's say second base, when that first tier runs out, uh, then you're going to be much more prone to panic or just have to deal with a drop off that you really don't want to deal with. So better to fill the position while you have some fallback options available. So that said, as I said, like five minutes ago, with no further delay, <laughs> I delayed. All right, catcher in the NL auction. Uh, no surprise here that Posey and Contreras were the most expensive. Uh, it, I think it's going to be pretty much interchangeable throughout our draft season. Who goes first, either in a draft or who gets the most in auction. Posey went for 21 here, Contreras for 20. What is a little bit surprising to me is that JT Real Muto went for 15. And, you know, $5 discount from Contreras might seem fair, but he was sort of lumped together with catchers that are, are generally considered lower tiered than him. Uh, Yadier Molina went for 13. Yasmani Grandal, talk about what difference a little bit of time makes. Yasmani Grandal went for 11 bucks. So that news about him getting the bulk of the playing time really sinking in. And I, again, I, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, loathe to, to, you know, critique these things because, you know, who knows when, when Grandal went, but, or, you know, maybe real Muto was nominated late on and, and he went at a little bit of a discount, kind of hard to say, but I will say that Grandal at 11, I don't, on the face of it, I don't really like it. Uh, because I don't to get back to the skills win out. 
I don't entirely trust him to be able to fend off Austin Barnes in terms of playing time. So that seems like a lot relative to the other catchers to invest uh, in somebody you know who's playing time. I don't feel confident about yet. So that's what I take away there. First base, uh, Paul Goldschmidt goes for 35. Freddie Freeman, 34. Joey Votto and Anthony Rizzo, 32 apiece. So as you would expect uh, with most of the top first basemen, uh, top first basemen being in, in the NL, they were all pretty much lumped together. I guess if there's a mild surprise there, uh, that Goldschmidt's still number one in the NL at his position uh, according to these values. And maybe that should be a surprise because what I'm seeing a lot of is um, that Goldschmidt should not be discounted due to the humidor very much. And as I talked about on a recent show, I dropped him to number 11 in my overall rankings. So, um, and, and I've got him behind uh, Freeman and Votto. Uh, Will, this is the other thing to take note of. And again, probably not surprising to anybody, but Will Myers went for 25. Eric Hosmer went for 23. So the tiers are clearly delineated in those values. Now, second base, a year ago, I remember saying it's, it's pretty much Daniel Murphy and everybody else in the NL. Well, Murphy's coming back from microfracture uh, surgery. It's looking like he uh, may not be ready for opening day. So maybe that's the reason why. I think it would be a good reason to be low on Murphy. And yet, I'm so surprised that he's he's a little bit buried here in the, the second base pecking order in terms of these values. Really, really evenly spread out. DJ LeMahieu and Chris Taylor got the highest winning bids, $22. Followed very closely by Javier Baez and Ian Happ at $20. Then you got Murphy at 19 Jonathan VR. I mean, somebody who is very, very risky, whether you're looking at consistency of production or you're looking at just playing time. Jonathan VR went for $18. Daniel Murphy went for 19 Something to me seems a little askew with that. And then Ozzy Albies going for 17 Can't really quibble with that. Uh, again, given with you know Murphy's uh, uh, recovery concerns, uh, for there to be a two dollar difference, I, I can't really quibble with that. But with VR between them, that's and I you know I thought I was big on VR going into this year, but maybe not. <laughs> that's the uh, I would be a little bit more cautious there. Uh, third base, you got uh, Nolan Arenado at thirty eight, Chris Bryant at thirty five, and then you've got a big gap as you would expect. With uh, Anthony Rendon going at 25, the thing here that's a little bit interesting to me is that I've said on, I think, more, one, more than one occasion on this show that Rendon's in a, uh, in a tier by himself, especially if uh, you're talking about mixed leagues and you consider Alex Bregman to be ahead of Rendon, which I actually don't. But uh, he's basically in a tier by himself. He's right there with Justin Turner and Travis Shaw. Turner, 23, Shaw, 22, and again, Rendon at 25. And also, for those of you drafting in AL or NL-only leagues uh, and you're thinking about where, how to value free agents, Mike Moustakis went in this NL-only auction for $5. At shortstop, we've got Trey Turner at 43 He was the uh, top, uh, uh, top bid-getter. In the NL only, $43. And then a, a much, much bigger gap than I would have expected, even though really uh, you, you know, you've got some elites over in the AL that aren't going to be a factor here. But still, 
Corey Seager, $25, and only $4 ahead of Trevor Story at 21 and the previously discussed Paul DeYoung at 20. That's what I'm talking about with people reaching for Paul DeYoung because of that power. Maybe you could say the same thing about Trevor Story. But for them to be within $5 of, of Corey Seager, and Corey Seager is $18 away from Trey Turner, man, that's a great value on Seager. I have to wonder if maybe he was nominated late. Charlie Blackman was the top bid-getting outfielder at 37, followed very uh, quickly by, by Bryce Harper at 36. Again, you could probably flip-flop those, but that, that close uh, dollar amount you know, is both expected and appropriate. And then you see sort of a shortening up of, of the gap uh, between the tiers here with Christian Yelich and Starling Marte both going for 30. And both of them went for more than uh, Cody Bellinger and Reese Hoskins. And I understand that Bellinger and Hoskins may be uh, uh, drafted as first baseman. That, and, and again, there's risk with both of them, especially Hoskins, but that surprises me a bit. And then here's the other thing. There, there's really not much tiering once you get to that, that second tier within the NL. So you get Yelich and Marte at, 20, at, at 30, Bellinger 29, Hoskins 28, Tommy Pham and Marcel, Marcelo Zuna at 27. So very gradual decreases. A bunch of other players at 26. Uh, one was Jonas Cespedes. I'm not going to go through the whole list. But then at 25, Manny Margot. So very, very gradual tapering there in the outfield. Maybe something to be aware of if you're drafting or auctioning in an NL only. And again, it's, it's one auction, so maybe not representative. Uh, pitchers, Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw, both at 38. Madison Bumgarner with some distance there at 31. And then pretty much, uh, you know, very slow tapering. Uh, Syndergaard at 29. Strasburg and Darvish at 28. Relievers, as you would expect, Kenley Jansen way out in front of everybody, 26. That's a lot for a reliever, but when you're talking NL only, you're talking about scarcity and Jansen just being so good and reliable. 26 doesn't seem bad to me at all. Felipe and Rivera and Corey Knable were the next at uh, $18. So there you go. Got through the NL there. Uh, we still got the AL. So I will catch that on the other side of this break, plus your Twitter questions. So uh, do stick around. Be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And uh, you really, really came through with the Twitter questions. Uh, A few more even came in since I started the show. So I'm going to get to all of them. And if that means I've got to postpone the outfield preview, then so be it. Outfield will always be there. Your Twitter questions demand answers right now. I also need to get to the AL labor uh, replay. Uh, So I will uh, do that as well. Uh, 
before I get to any of that, a message here about DKMS. LeBron James is a four-time NBA MVP. Mike Trout, a two-time AL MVP. And while you probably never be either, you can be an MVP of your own because you can save somebody's life. By going to dkms.org slash FNTSY today, you can learn what you can do to help. Six out of every 10 patients will not receive a bone marrow transplant, and we want to change that. And it all starts with you at dkms.org slash FNTSY. You can register to become a bone marrow donor, and it only takes one minute. You can sign up online, and DKMS will send you a swab kit. You swab your cheeks, you send it back to DKMS, and that's it. It is that easy. So please check out dkms.org slash FNTSY and join the more than 950,000 others that have signed up to become bone marrow donors. Okay, so we've gone through the uh, NL uh, labor auction from this weekend. Uh, we'll go to the AL and uh, starting a catcher. You would expect that uh, Gary Sanchez, he's not only uh, pretty far ahead of uh, everybody in the, the mixed league field, but really uh, far ahead of the AL field, given that you've got uh, Posey Contreras uh, over in the NL. Uh, so $30 is what Gary Sanchez fetched uh, in this uh, AL auction. And the next highest bid, winning bid for a catcher was $16. So barely more than half of what Sanchez got. If you're thinking, like I was thinking, that that would go to Salvador Perez, You'd be wrong. Evan Gaddis got $16. So I've been talking about Gaddis a lot, talking about my concerns about playing time and his ability to rebound from a disappointing 2017. Owners in uh, AL Labor say uh, that's silly. And they uh, auctioned him off for $16. $16. And uh, Sal Perez then just right behind him at 15 Wilson Ramos. Been saying that, that Ramos... Uh, uh, could be right up there with the likes of Gaddis and Perez. And uh, these folks agreed. He went for 14. And Mike Zunino, excuse me, let's, let's try that again. Mike Zunino, that's how you pronounce it, went for 13. So a lot of bunchiness right after uh, Gary Sanchez, but but far behind, of course, as you would expect. First base, uh, pretty bunchy too, uh, right from the top on down. Uh, Jose Abreu, the top uh, bid getter with 28. And again, Almost all the elites are over in the NL, so you've got some pretty depressed prices here in the AL. Uh, Abreu at 28, uh, Edwin Encarnacion at 26, Miguel Cabrera at 23, and Maddelson at 20. That's all pretty much in sync with their mixed league ADPs. So just uh, you know, just make basically adjusted there for AL only. And the thing that maybe surprised me a little bit. And, and if nothing else sort of goes against my view of, of player value is Justin Smoke going for 17. So Smoke was just as far behind Matt Olson as Olson was behind Miguel Cabrera. And, you know, maybe that's uh, a referendum on owners thinking that Smoke was legit last year or it could be a referendum on there being a little bit of skepticism on Matt Olson, depending on how you want to look at look at that. But uh, pretty even spacing there for the top first baseman. Jose Altuve, 39. Uh, so, of course, topping uh, the second baseman. D. Gordon at 32. So his move to Seattle, thinning out an already thin cohort uh, over in the NL. And Brian Dozier at 28. 
Not much of a drop-off, though, to the next tier. you got Robinson Cano at 24. And I've been saying I think that Cano is the most valuable of uh, that next tier of second baseman. And so this group apparently agreed. Cano at 24, um, just ahead of, of Jonathan Scope and, and Whit Merrifield. So the tiers are consistent with what we've seen in Nicholas League drafts and auctions. Uh, maybe this specific order within tiers is uh, just a little different. At third base, Manny Machado, pretty far ahead of everybody, uh, $35. Uh, then Josh Dalton, Alex Bregman, I just talked earlier in the last segment about how Bregman is being considered by many as a first-tier uh, third baseman. That's being reflected here. Same price as Josh Donaldson, $29. Here's maybe, to me, the biggest surprise in the auction. Jose Ramirez going for $28. That's a, I think that's a value. Uh, and maybe just as surprising, Joey Gallo also going for $28. And then Nick Nicholas Castellanos going for 25 So Gallo Castellanos not really showing that there was much separation between the elite and uh, and the next tier. Almost really sort of blended together there. Carlos Correa was the uh, top bid for shortstops at 35 Francisco Lindor right behind him at 33 Elvis Andrews well behind them. At 22, and Didi Gregorius not too far behind Andrews uh, at 18. So, uh, very, very big delineation there in the AL uh, among shortstops. By the way, again, similar to what we saw in the NL, except with Corey Seeger being really lumped in with uh, the mid tier rather than being closer to, to Trey Turner. Uh, outfield, outfield's uh, pretty interesting here. Uh, let's see, let's see. So, uh, Mike Trout. Top bid getter, as you would guess, uh, for the whole AL auction at 42. Mookie Betts at 35. Giancarlo Stanton at 34. Uh, again, that's all in proportion to what you would expect. J.D. Martinez at 31. So it seems like a good amount of optimism there that he can he can hang with the top tier. And George Springer at 29. And then here's where, to me, it gets very interesting because there's not really any tiering behind George Springer. To me, whether it's mixed or AL, there's a big Grand Canyon right behind George Springer. Byron Buxton went for the same price, $29. And if you're thinking, well, that's just Buxton, well, let's keep going. Chris Davis went for 28 Justin Upton and Andrew Benintendi went for 27 Aaron Judge went for 26 That's a relative value for sure. And then, then you see something of a tier because the next outfielder, after Judge at 26 is Eddie Rosario at 22. So, again, whether that speaks to the confidence uh, in Rosario or maybe just a, a weak crop of, of outfielders beyond uh, that, that big tier ahead, you know, could go either way. Uh, all right. Uh, starting pitchers, Sale 38, Kluber 37, and then big gap. Severino 26, Carrasco 25, Verlander 24, Archer 23, and it, it, not much tearing here either. Keeps going. Paxton just at, at 21, just two behind Archer. Keuchel at 18. So maybe we see a little bit of separation there. Uh, and then a whole bunch in you know the 15 to 17 range. Relievers, Craig Kibrell, 25. Uh, Araldus Chapman, 22. Not as much separation here as you would think. Because to me, Craig Kimbrell is in a class by himself in the AL. I could understand maybe you throw Chapman in there close to him. But then Chapman at 22, Roberto Osuna 21, Edwin Diaz 20, 
Cody Allen 18. Uh, that's interesting to me that the closers were, were going for that much. And Ken Giles uh, even going for 16. All right. Well, like I said, lots and lots of Twitter questions. I will answer them all. So let's get to it. This from at Real Ryan McGarry. Uh, Al, can you rank these starting pitchers for me? Morton, Snell, Gosman, and Harvey. Are you comfortable with any of them being your SP3? And Ryan, you put them in the exact order. You made my job easy. Morton, then Snell, then Gosman, then Harvey. And they're pretty close between Morton and Snell. Uh, yeah, I'd be, well, I'd be okay with Morton. And I suppose Snell, I've got them ranked pretty closely together. They'd be sort of at the very bottom end of, of what I would be reasonably happy with as a third starter. Um, not ideal, really, any of them. I'd say Gosman, too much, too much risk. Harvey, far too much risk. To me, he's a late rounder at best. So hope that helps. Uh, we have a question here from at DJK1236. Blockman, Vado, Rizzo, Goldie, order them the way you draft them in a points league. And, uh, you know, talked about this earlier, how I have, I've dropped Goldie behind Votto. I would actually go Votto, Goldie, Blackman, Rizzo here. And by the way, that would be identical to the order I would have in a categories league as well uh, for those. Although I think Blackman loses a little value, um, Rizzo gains a little, but there's enough of a gap there that um, I would still go Blackman over Rizzo in a points format. Okay, I uh, actually got a few questions here from at Flickr, and that's Flick O-R. Maybe it's Flick Or. I'm going to take two of these, uh, w- partly because one of them was asked by somebody else. So, uh, But Flick Or asked, or actually he says, I'm in love with Caratini, Tyler Wade, and Franchi. Uh, I love Franchi. Will these guys get near 300 at-bats? Well, based on the report that I talked about earlier in the show, I'm pretty confident Franchi Cordero is going to get 300 bats or more. I feel pretty good about that. 400 is a little iffier, but I feel pretty good about 300. I don't see any way that Caratini or Wade gets uh, 300, maybe not even, well, maybe 200 for Caratini. Um, I think Wade probably doesn't even get that much. So, And the other question here uh, from at Flickr and... Uh, Apologize. Here we go. I lost it for a second. Uh, what spot do you prefer to draft from in a 12-team mixed league? Number one seems to have a huge advantage. And I also got a question from at Max underscore Thornberry. What's your favorite? Where's your favorite place to draft? Uh, and I assume Max means in the draft order and not, you know, geographically. Um, so uh, that also asks, does it change depending on the size of your league? So addressing both of those questions, yes, number one is the best position from which to draft in any format. And barring that, and again, that's because of the advantage that Trout gives you over Altuve and everybody else in the pecking order. If I can't have number one, then I do want number two because I feel like there's another pretty big gap between Altuve and the field. But then once you get beyond that, it's it's really hard. And I've talked about this on the show. It's really hard to rank players from number three on down to, uh, I'd say at least number eight or nine. So I'd say if number one or number two isn't available, um, I want I want uh, number eight because that yeah that that for me is where there's a, a discernible drop off. 
And, um, you know, that way I get the better pick on the way around if I'm drafting, drafting eighth as opposed to, say, third or fourth. So my preference would be first, then second, then eighth. Uh, that's, that's how I look at it. Here's a question from uh, at Stringer1099. Hey, Al, in a vacuum, Andahar or McMahon in Dynasty? I'm not sure if this was asked just so that I could run the vacuum sound effect. Don't have it handy. Too many questions to get to. Um, I'll just answer the question. Definitely McMahon. Um, we're talking dynasty here, so path to playing time is a little less relevant here. Uh, Andohar will get his eventually. I think maybe we see McMahon a, a little more immediately. But I just like the overall offensive package uh, from uh, McMahon just a, just a little bit better. Obviously, both have very good home parks uh, in the short term. And maybe the long term, uh, I give give the ad, edge there to uh, Ryan McMahon over Miguel Andahar. From at Open Bar Dudes, who are you seeing as great value at current ADP? Well, I will first just refer you to my sleepers column on Fantrax because that covers a lot of the players. Uh, granted that that uh, piece has been up for uh, about a week and a half. But ADP hasn't really changed that much, and uh, you know those are all players that I, I you know really like for the the value. But players that just also just kind of stick out top of mind based on uh, the drafts that I've been in. Catal uh, Marte, I've talked about. He's my favorite sleeper. Um, you know, he, he's just available pretty much any time, and I think he could you know be uh, a very good shortstop just you know outside the top tiers. Uh, Marco Estrada. People just don't seem to believe in him, and yet when I get to like SP4, he's always right there. Um, I like Todd Frazier as a late value and as a, as a bounce back candidate. I'm just trying to think who else is really sticking out uh, top of mind. Well, I'm actually running short on time, so hopefully those names will will help you to start off with it. Do check out my sleepers column on Fantrax. Okay, uh, what are the chances that Gallo is a better asset than Judge? I would say extremely slim. Uh, both obviously strike out a lot. Gallo, his track record is he strikes out even more than Judge does. I like the the lineup context for Judge a lot better. I think it's very unlikely that Gallo is as good or better than Aaron Judge. From at Tummy Lasorda, do I believe Tyler Chatwood will be a useful asset now that he's out of course? It certainly will help him a lot. So will the uh, run uh, run support that he's likely to get from the Cubs so, yeah, now I think Chatwood definitely should be drafted, probably late, but should be drafted in 12-teamers. And uh, I've got a question here from at Zach Daniels Sr. that looks a bit complicated, so I apologize, but I'm running really short on time. So uh, I'm going to answer that one on uh, Twitter, and I lied. I did not get to all of them. I got to all but, but one or two, so I do apologize. Uh, also, just uh, to let you know, catch the DKMS 2018 March Madness Special on Monday, March 12th at 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network with host Craig Carton. Get the edge on filling out your bracket with analysis from Greg Sussman, Mike Blewett, and special guest Yahoo's Brad Evans. If you're looking to make some money, Gabe Morency, excuse me, Gabe Morency and Blackjack Fletcher will line your pockets the broadcast will be simulcast right here on the fantasy sports network youtube live page it's the dkms 2018 march madness special on monday march 12th at 4 p.m eastern right here fantasy sports radio network 
Thank you very much for tuning in today. I promise, promise, promise I will get to the outfield preview on tomorrow's show and uh, have Justin Justin Mason on to talk about the great, and it is great, fantasy baseball invitational. So see you tomorrow.